oxygen, sulfur, and a range of other gases. Can anybody see any of them? Put your hand up if you can see the oxygen. But you believe that, don't you? You don't think I'm telling you a fib, okay? We don't want too much hydrogen because we might have... Um, we might get in the newspaper tomorrow morning. But we know it's here. I'm going to tell you something more spectacular. Do you know that God, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God, is in this room? And I know exactly where he is in this room because the Bible tells me that you, if you are born again, and I will assume that you are born again or that you are en route to that, but if you are born again, then the Holy Spirit is inside your body. That doesn't mean you need to go like this and tremble and have some silly kind of nonsense. Sometimes the Holy Spirit may bring some physical symptom, some, some reaction. I don't deny that. It has happened in my case and in my wife's case. But that's not the sign that he is here. The reason we know that the Spirit of the living God is dwelling in his people is because the Bible, the Word of God, tells us. So I'm going to believe that. And we're going to look at a passage today. We're going to read through quite a lot of scripture. And the way I'm going to do it, rather than have somebody read the passage and refer back to it, I'm going to read through that passage, making comments as we go through, and then I'll bring a kind of conclusion of relevance to the 21st century, right? I'm going to take my watch off because I can't, I'll not be looking up at that clock. And I'll put my watch like that, and that will keep me roughly to time. We're going to start in Judges chapter 8. The passage that Philip gave me was Judges 8, 29 to 35, Judges 9, 1 to 57. That's quite a lot of verses. And the title he gave me was Abimelech. Abimelech, the thornbush king. Now that's slightly, I thought, oh, that's odd, because the translation of the scriptures that I've been using doesn't use the phrase the thorn bush, um, but um, other phrases like the bramble. I think the thorn bush is better than the bramble because I'm from Scotland where there are a lot of brambles in Perthshire where I lived. And what I got when I think of brambles, you know what I think of? I think of scones, bramble jelly, and thick double cream right? And this is not what we're talking about. This is a man, Abimelech, who is being compared to something pretty nasty. But in order to get the picture, we need to go back to the passage that I guess you were in last week, because we need to appreciate that this man, Abimelech, whose name means his father is king, and we'll explain that in a minute, this is he is a product of Gideon. And in fact, he is a product of Gideon's failure. You and, all, you and I all think of Gideon as a judge of Israel, a good man, and he did great and good things. We think of Gideon going down there and with the 300 and he overcame the enemy and so on. But you know, the truth of Gideon is Gideon started well 
I'm not going to say Gideon finished badly, but I am going to say he didn't finish as well as he started. And this is why. So chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son, and your son, grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian, because he killed the Midianites. Gideon, good answer now, Gideon. I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh, shall rule over you. So he knew the principle. Israel was not designed to be like the nations and have a king. Their God was their king. They were a theocracy. It falters later on, and they pick up another guy, Saul, and that's not such a great success either. And then God relents, and he gives them a man after his own heart. He gives them King David, and King David really is the beginning of the, the kingship that comes down through the tribe of Judah that ends up with one who is promised he will sit on the throne of David. Who would that be? Jesus. Has he sat on the throne of David? Not yet. Will he? Most certainly he will. So Gideon takes the right decision. Don't make me a king. But, 24, then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each of you give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. Now the Ishmaelites wore, golden, wore gold earrings. Um, now, it's okay for ladies to wear gold earrings. It's okay for anybody, I guess. But when it's a show-off kind of thing, when it's a presentation of, you know, we're rich and, 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 and we're secure, that's, that's not good. When it's just a decorative thing to go with your outfit, my wife's got twinkly ones on today so you can see the gamels are not anti-earrings <laughs> or this is not some kind of Plymouth Brethren type thing where you've got to wear a hat and no makeup, Right. But there is a place where people present themselves with physical, and it, it doesn't need even be jewellery, where people present self. And what they want you to notice is me, me, me. You get it from behind places like this sometimes. You get it from preachers. The Lord forbid that I should end up there tonight. And Gideon said to them, um, because they were Ishmaelites, so they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment, and each man threw into it the earrings from his plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That's a lot of gold. Remember the gold offering of the half shekel of silver was a, a valuable thing for the temple. That's a lot of gold. So he saw one principle that he was not to stand in a kingship between, as an intermediary, between Israel and God. God would rule them directly. But there was a weakening. Money. Materialism. And sadly, it got Gideon. It didn't ruin Gideon. It didn't rule him out of God's love and favor. But it was a very public, prominent weakness. And we're going to see there are two weaknesses that men who are serving Jesus Christ need to be aware of. You will know probably, because it's a famous story, way back from the early, late 40s or early 1950s, that very fortunately for Billy Graham, one of his aides walked into his hotel room. He was having one of those big, you know, rallies. I'm just going to move that so I 
can catch your eye, my dear, and you're not kind of excluded when I'm looking. Lovely. So Billy, Billy goes back to his room, and one of his aides, we don't know why, goes into the room first, and there is a tabloid photographer, I guess with a huge camera way back then, and a, in commas, scantily clad young lady. And the object of the exercise was to catch Billy and the scantily clad young lady in the photograph and publish a lie. And from then on, Billy took the decision never, never to go into a bedroom alone. And he never did. Because he realized there were two dangers for men seeking to serve God. And you don't need to be Billy Graham. You can just be serving the communion here. The dangers are money and women. And poor Gideon falls down. And not, dear brother, not referring to you. That was a, perhaps a mistaken illustration. But, but money and women, two dangers for the servants of God. And there has been a temptation all throughout history, history prior to the church, history after Pentecost, and history today. And I would include from just saying money and women because we live in this strange sexual society to say materialism and sexualization of various things. And we need to guard our hearts about that. So we just need to be blunt and honest. There's no point in me giving you all sorts of spiritual interpretations and stuff and not applying it. We've got to watch it. And why? Listen, read on. 1,700 shekels of gold, besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which the kings of Midian had around their necks and had around their camels' necks. Now, you know where the crescent ornaments are because you live in Bradford. Where are you going to see today's evidence of the crescent ornaments of Midian who worshipped the moon god? You're going to see them on your mosques. You're going to see them on all sorts of insignia relating to Islamic organizations. You're going to see it if you go further abroad on the tails of Islamic countries' airplanes, on their military cap badges, on their stamps, because it's part of the historic worship of the moon god. Allah was the moon god. Ullah covered the whole of the gods of the 360 gods, one per per day of the 360-day calendar that Muhammad's father followed was called Allah, and that one said, made me, make me the God. And you have his name captured in Sun... Remember, do you remember the boys that, that, that tried to rupture the attempts to rebuild the temple, Tobias Gershon and Sanbalat? Remember him? That Sanbalat, Allah, get the Allah in there, means <clears throat> the moon god gives life. And so these guys... So what he's doing here, he's picking up the spoils, and some of them are occultic spoils. Oh, Gideon, what a mistake. Because when you go for the gold and you put out the great cloak and you say, pile it in, pile it in, you do not know what you're going to get. You're going to see later on, and as we read, that this man, Abimelech, that arises and an illegitimate or a semi-illegitimate son of Gideon's, he's going to have Satan's money. We've got to be very careful as believers as to where we get our money from. Not everything that glitters financially is gold. 
Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. He'll tell you. He's not going to hide things from you. Seek the Lord. And Gideon made it into an ephod. So he sets it up into an image. And he set it up in the city Ophrah. And all Israel prayed the harlot there. It became a snare to Gideon into his house. How sad for a man that started so well that later in life he sets up something that is a snare that traps him, that traps him away from God. Isn't that sad? May it not happen to any man or brother or sister in this room because we've got to start well and we've got to finish well. There's no reason why we shouldn't. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. Let me just say very quickly about Psalm 51, appropriate psalm, wonderful psalm to read. But where David says, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, that is comparative to where you and I are today. God will not take his Holy Spirit away from you, but the Holy Spirit can be out of fellowship with you. Do you understand? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In that temple, he's got some little rooms and reserves where he can go and be on his own and leave you if you do not want to work things his way. But he'll not leave you. And all you need to do is repent and he'll be there, right? So the important thing is let's not do anything that has a snare. And Midian was subdued before Israel, before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. Gideon, thank the Lord for that. But here we've got a man, and all of us, including Brian Gamble at the front here today, we're all flawed. If you want to know a list of, if it's important to you to know a list of my flaws, there are two women here. One is my mother, one is my wife. They've got, they've got separate lists. Yeah. And in fact, if you come and ask me, I'll be honest with you. Because I don't like to set myself up as, you know, some kind of holy fella at the front that's above the rest of the rest of us. I'm just a brother with a gift to teach the word of God. But I have my weaknesses and flaws. And God, despite the weaknesses and flaws of this man, which are public and quite considerable, gave the land 40 years of peace. Right, then Jerubbabel. Now, Jerubbabel is his nickname. He got this Gideon got this nickname because he pulled down the altar of Baal. So because he did that, they call him Jerubbabel. Jerubbabel, son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to... Uh, I have a sense of humor. It's not always fully sanctified. So I need to keep it under control. Seventy sons, and he probably had daughters as well. Don't tell me he had 70 and he only got boys, right? He had a lot of goes at pregnancy, and he had many wives. The Bible makes little comment, no comment about that here. But we are to be one woman men. Many wives is not acceptable to God. It was something which the New Testament in Acts 17 says he turned a blind eye to. In the authorized version, it says that God winked at it. He winked at it. He turned a blind eye. He overlooked because there were more important things. But we, are, we have an example from Genesis onwards. One man, one woman, marriage. 
Adam, Eve. That's it. Even King David stumbled. King Solomon stumbled big time. How many did he have between wives and concubines? A thousand. And I always say, because it gets a smile, think of the mothers-in-law. How did he cope? Ah. So that's why I raised the subject of not just the money, but the women. He didn't have something in his psyche and in his libido under control. He had many wives. What does many mean? I don't know. A bunch, as the Americans would say. And that is never going to bring you the kind of satisfactory love of heart that you desire. Furthermore, it is never going to represent two things on earth. God Almighty, Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth, God of Israel, and his wife, Israel, and the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride-to-be, the church. That's what man and woman, Ephesians 5, if you want to check it out, that's what man and woman in a singular relationship of one man, one woman, are to represent. It is not good that man should be alone. And it isn't good that man should be alone. And my wife and I pray regularly and have done for many years for different single people that they get a partner and they get married. So I turned up at a church some years ago not having seen this brother for some 30-odd years. And he says to me, oh, how are you, blah, blah, and all that. He says, you prayed for me 30 years ago to get a wife, and it never happened. So I felt a bit guilty. And I had to say, well, look, I prayed, but you know, I, I can't do anything about it. But anyway, we prayed again. That was, what, about eight, seven years ago? He got married this year, hallelujah. God is faithful in that department. And I want to say that to you, because having said one man, one woman, then people go, oh, my goodness, where is that one man? Where is that one woman? He knows. Ask him. Seek him. And if his desire for you is singlehood and celibacy, he will give you a special gift with which you can cope with that. If not, seek him and seek him and seek him on that subject. But this man, he went on it on his own. Do you think he sought Gideon, sought the Lord over, shall I marry this one? Shall I marry that one? Oh, no, I, oh, she's a bit pretty. I think we'll have her over to the tent. Do you understand? This is not God's best for Gideon. But God puts up with it, like he put up with a lot of things with these Old Testament guys and still used them. Like he puts up with a lot of stuff with men in church pulpits today and still uses them, usually for a season. There's always an end. There's no end to the grace of God. The grace of God is infinite. But there is an end to the amount of time you have to access it. So do it now. So here he has 70 sons from his many wives. And then it gets a wee bit worse. <laughs> who were his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubine, who was in Shechem, who bore him a son whose name is called Abimelech. So here we're introduced to Abimelech, and he has this son by basically a prostitute. That's who his son is by. Now Jesus associates with prostitutes. Let me make it very clear 
Jesus loves prostitutes. Jesus loves the lowest of the low in our society, and they can show him greater love and commitment than some of the highest of the high. I can tell you that from experience. You can, because you've seen our society. But here he has this semi-illegitimate son, Abimelech, probably, scholars believe, named Abimelech by his mother. Because Abimelech, his father is Gideon, Gideon had refused to be king. But to give him a bit of status and authority, my father is king. Okay? I'm the son of a king. And he was the son of the judge of Israel and a, and a ruler and a ruler. The problem was he is a man of ambition, and we will see that. Now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father in Apra of the Abezerites. So as soon as Gideon was dead, as soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berit their god. So there was something still about this man that despite his weakness, despite his partial apostasy or departure from the biblical truth as had been revealed to him by God, he still held the nation together under the God of Israel. And his death and physical departure, what happens? People begin to do what's right in their own eyes. And they turn to apostasy. They turn away from the God of Israel. And immediately you turn away from the God of Israel, you turn away from the morality of the God of Israel, the fellowship, the blessing, the good weather, the fertility, you name it. You walk away from God, you walk away from God's blessing. And here we have, as he gets together, he's going to pursue a personal agenda of power. The children of Israel are ripe for it. Why? Because they're not hearing God. They've lost their judge and prophet, and instead of seeking God for a substitute for another, they're going to take on somebody else. The children of Israel thus did not remember Yahweh their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel Gideon in accordance with the good that he had done for Israel. So that's the beginning of the picture. And I'm not sure what translation, I'm in the New King James, what translation is up there? NIV, right. So there will be some differences in the wording. And so what you would have expected is that there would have been some loyalty because he had done some great things in defeating the Midianites. Loyalty has gone. You walk away from God, you walk away from loyalty to your brethren. You would have expected that there would have been some, that would I put it in our crude language, a pension fund, if you like. There would have been some looking after Gideon and his 70 sons. There wasn't. And you're about to see just how bad it gets. And we're about to see here a pattern, a pattern that you'll see in Queen Jezebel, a pattern that you will see against the Lord Jesus Christ. 
going round and getting the scum of society to lie on your behalf. And here we, moving on, then Jerubbabel, the, then Abimelech, the son of Jerubbabel, went to Shechem and spoke to his mother's brothers. So he's dealing now with the flesh, do you understand? His own bloodline. I don't want to get into too much theology here, but when a man is not being led by the Spirit of God, he will most certainly be led by his own instincts and his flesh. And so he goes to his own family, and he spoke with them, and with all the family of his mother's home, of his, of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you? Which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubbabel reign over you, or that one reign over you? Remember that I am your own flesh and blood. This man had ambition. He's up. This is a plot, okay? This is a conspiracy. He's saying to them, look, there are 70 sons of Gideon. Now, that will not say that was a mistake. We'll certainly say that having a lot of women was a mistake. But the number 70 is a number that relates to divine completeness and God's government. And if they had trusted, then that 70 could have under the power of the Spirit of God, been united to form an irresistible governance over the people of Israel at that time. But he comes along, there's, there's Abimelech, and he says, look, they'll bring confusion. What's better? All 70 of them, or one man. Oh, oh no, by the way, <laughs> here I am. I'll be that one man because we're flesh and blood. I'll look after your interests. That's what he's saying. We're flesh and blood. I'll look after you. Flesh and, what are you trying to say? Flesh and bones. Does it say that? Am I misreading? Oh, good. Um, let me get that. Da, 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 da. Let me get that. Because, oh, yes. I am your flesh and bone. I'll leave it at that. Um, they're flesh and bone. There's a reason for that. It would be a whole sermon. But do you remember the Lord Jesus in his resurrection body says to the uh, disciples, Handle me and see, it's I myself. I'm not a ghost, I'm not a spirit. Handle me and see, a spirit does not have flesh and bone, as you see me having, right? So there is a significance there, but it would take us too long to go into that direction. But thank you, my darling, for your gracious correction. So what do they do? And his mother's brother, so these are his half-brothers, spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of the men of Shechem, and their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. Now, Shechem, um, we've got to just think a little bit about geography here. There are two mountains. We've got Ebal on one side, and uh, we've, um, we've got, um, I can't remember the name, but we'll come to it later in the passage on the other. And one of them is a sharp cliff, and Shechem is in the middle, and, and it means the, the, the place on the ridge. That's what it means. And the significance is that you can shout and talk very clearly because it's a place of very clear echoes. There are such places all around the world where you can shout. and You see them do it at Grand Canyon in the United States. I believe they do it at Nairsborough there. You get good echo. You're going to hear something here. And hearing is what is important because the people of Israel are about to hear something prophetic from the Lord their God. Okay. So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal Barit, 
from which, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. So whose money do you get out of the temple of Baal? This is Satan's money. Do you see a parallel with the Lord Jesus? Judas gets Satan's money. This is rebellion. The rebellious disciple gets Satan's money. Here, the rebellious son, who is going to be shown by an illustration very shortly as the rebellious one, as the rebel, as the Nimrod of his day, this one gets satanic money to set him up and sort him out. And they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah, that Ophra has no great significant meaning. The word means fawn, the color fawn. It's because it was dusty. It was a dusty place, a dry and dusty place. And they killed his brothers, the 70 sons of Jerubbabel, on one stone. That is probably on the altar that he had set up there to worship God. That's probably what that stone is. You can pick that up elsewhere. in the. You've already read it in the book of Judges if you've been going right through it. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubbabel, was left because he hid himself. Now, we can't work out, and, and no one has, I haven't read anything that satisfied me. Were there 71 sons and one escaped? Because it says 70 were killed and one escaped. Or is it saying generically he set out to kill the 70, but Jotham, he escaped? I don't know. And, and I don't think any of you really care if it matters. But the significant is one hid himself. There comes a time in life where it is important for you, where there is dispute and trouble, to hide yourself from it. Don't get involved. I speak from experience as an impetuous man who has only in the last 10 minutes learned anything about patience an impetuous man who's got himself involved in other people's fights when I jolly well should not have. Caused probably more trouble. I went in there because I'm a great kind of supporter of the underdog. <laughs> I went in there because when I see people being hurt, particularly by pastoral mishandling and by bad shepherding kind of stuff, I've got stuck in. There are times when I jolly well should have hidden myself. There was a time when um, I was in 2013 seriously being attacked on the internet and I wanted to defend myself because most of the attacks were lies. One of the attacks was that I had never been an intelligence officer, I had never been an army officer. I had a very good counsellor and friend amongst the three main men that are, that are kind of like a board of counsel to me in my ministry. And he said, Brian, do nothing. But pray for their blessing, these people who are attacking you. Pray for God to bless them. That was hard. That was hard. But I did it. Well, the one about me never having been an intelligence man and an army officer was sold within 10 days to a fortnight, would it be, darling? Where I appeared one day every half hour on the BBC News as an intelligence man and a former army officer. Just the way the Lord went. So that sealed that. The rest, you know what? I never replied to another thing. I hid. I hid. And it all went away. And the Lord gave me a word about those who do such things, they will dig a pit and fall into it themselves. Now, I had to be very careful not to wish that on them. 
but just to leave it with him. And you know, I don't need to tell you the story, but it happened. So there's a time when there is dispute when you hide. And so there is a point where this man, Jotham, Jotham hides. And he's the youngest of them, and he hid. And verse 6 says, And all the men of Shechem gathered together, or all of Beit Milo. I can't remember what Beit Milo is. Oh, yes, it means the fort house. It means the rampart. It's a fortified place that they have, where they gathered at Beit Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now, you have mountains on one side, mountains on the other. Shechem there, there's obviously a very significant tree that was important to them and they got remember trees are important in the occultic uh, worship of the Baalites and so they have their Baalite king making service and they make Abimelech king and Jotham whose name means and this is significant Yahweh is perfect so right away we've got someone who is who has got a name that's a fake my father is king. Oh, no, he did not become king, you fibber. And then you've got the youngest one, which shows that Gideon hadn't lost it spiritually completely because he called him Yahweh is perfect. And Yahweh has got something to say through Jotham. And after he's hidden, he comes to this place up on the hillside where he is going to be able to speak to them. And we now move on to the really significant thing. It's called, if you've got a little Bible title, the parable of the trees. There are four trees that are illustrations. One is the olive, the fig, the vine, and the thorn bush, which we're calling it, or the bramble, or it's called the briar or the, thist the thistle, right? We'll not call it thistle because it's a different from the kind of thistle that I would expect, right? It's a lot wilder. But if you want to think... Have you ever seen pictures of the Lord Jesus by artists wearing the crown of thorns with huge prickled thorns on it, pressed into his head? That's what we're talking about. The same kind of thing that the ram was caught by its horns in the thicket, right? So we have these four different illustrations concerning rulership, governance, and leadership for the people of Israel. Remember, this is before the time that the nation is fully together. It's out, it's over Jordan, out of the wilderness, over Jordan, starting to try to make something of the promised land and being ruled by judges. And the objective is that the divine plan is that it would be ruled by judges, get into a system of godly order, and God himself would govern from Jerusalem. How would he do that? He's called the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the man who is 100% God Almighty and who is 100% a human being. Not 50-50. He's not a demigod. He's fully God and fully man. You, only, you can't reason that. That won't, that won't sort out in your head. That will only give you a nervous breakdown. You believe it because the Bible teaches it. He's 100% God and 100% man. And he would rule with equity, peace, justice, and prosperity. That's what would have happened. But oh no, they want to be like the Gentiles. They're going to have a king. So they've set up Abimelech as king. 
And when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried out and said to them. Now, the two mountains, Mount Gerizim on one side, down into Shechem, Mount Ebal on the other. Mount Gerizim can be proven from the scripture, but time doesn't allow us tonight, is the mountain from which blessing is spoken. Mount Ebal is the mountain from which cursing is spoken. And Shechem is between a curse and a blessing. And they're about to get the word of God from Jotham because he's the only descendant of Gideon, the man of God, that's alive. He has, has his life, as it were, thumbprinted by God. Yahweh is perfect, and this is what he's about to say. Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. God is watching and God is listening to you. It is a warning. He's warning them. God hears. Oh, that today, in the world of Bradford, Yorkshire, England, Europe, and throughout the world, men would hear the Lord. Don't we pray that? Keep praying, because he is snatching brands from the burning. Here and there, men and women, sometimes in larger numbers, sometimes in smaller numbers, sometimes one alone, men and women are coming to know the Lord Jesus. Sometimes they are little children. Sometimes they are octogenarians. But they are coming to know the Lord Jesus. That will go on till the day he comes. That will never be extinguished. So never, ever, ever be discouraged that you don't see immediate fruit to your evangelism. You must know the story of the Australian track giver. He stood on the streets and gave out tracks for donkey's years. And then the internet springs up and somebody gives a testimony of how they picked up a track from this fellow on the corner of such and such a street. I think it was in Melbourne, but I stand to be corrected there. And wow! And the next thing, there's another testimony and another and another and another. And that dear man, I don't know if he's even with, if he might be with the Lord. So many had found the Lord Jesus Christ through his ministry, and he never knew. And he wasn't there to know. He was there to serve. And so here, God is speaking. And so he starts off and he says, The trees went forth to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. And the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil? with which they honor God and men to go and sway over the other trees. He's saying, look, there's somebody around who's got an olive oil ministry, a ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. They are a servant of God, and they are blessing the people of God. They are not interested in the governance of what is going on. They will leave that to God. That, uh, the baseline is what he's saying. And you, Abimelech, are not that man. But it's bigger than that. It's bigger because the olive, the olive tree and its fruit, is a picture of the people of God spiritually. It's Israel spiritually. It's Israel in their intimate reaction with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit on them. Remember, the Holy Spirit is normally on the Old Testament saints, the few people that the Holy Spirit is in 
in the Old Testament are prophets. It is not normal for the average Mr. Jewish Israelite of the Old Testament to have the Holy Spirit in him. That does not come until Pentecost. Whereas the Holy Spirit is in you. Whether you feel him or not, he is in you by the promise of God. Sometimes when you come to minister or whatever, you may feel him on you. But he is permanently in you. And so the olive, he's speaking out here, not just that you're not the olive, Abimelech, but it's a prophetic word to Israel for its future. You are to be the olive. You are to be the one through whom God's word brings the Holy Spirit in power on his people. And that's what sometimes are called our Jewish roots. And of course, the Holy Spirit did move on Israel and does move on the church today. The fig. When you see the fig tree put forth its leaves, look up, for you know your salvation draws near. Do you know what that means? Have you read that prophecy in the New Testament? It's telling us that when Israel nationally, as a government, as, as a, an in, uh, uh, um, what's the word, a sovereign people, not thinking spiritually, but thinking politically, as a political entity, puts forth its leaves, then get ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. That happened way back 1947-48, so we better have our eyes wide open. It also goes on to say, and all the trees, which is interesting because after Israel gained its national identity, throughout the world, the empires, be it the British Empire, the French, the Congo, the Dutch Empire, and the West, the East Indies, wherever, they all became independent nations. We saw the rise of the United Nations and the number of independent nations put forth their leaves. So the fig is Israel in terms of it, its national identity. And so he's pointing out here that not only in the future will Israel become a spiritual entity before God through whom he will work by his spirit right up until Pentecost and then into the church. He's also saying that Israel will be a, 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 a political entity and that that will be clearly seen. And the prophets relate that. They have kings, they have battles, right up until this very day. And of all the ancient peoples of the Old Testament, one nation and one nation alone still survives as a national entity. Israel. The people of Egypt have got the same name, but they are not the original Egyptians. The people of Palestine have got the name Palestinians, but they are nothing to do with the Philistines who were completely wiped out. The Jordanians and all likewise, there is one nation that exists from ancient times, still as a nation, still as a governing entity, it's Israel. Yes, there are obviously people, physical descendants, but in terms of them being under the same governance as they were in the past, they're gone. The fig tree. Then the vine. Then the trees said to... I better read the fig bit because I taught on it before I read the scripture, didn't I? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go and sway over the trees? So I'm already doing something I don't need to do anymore. Then the trees came to the vine and said, Come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, 
Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men, and go and sway over the trees? Now, the vine is religious Israel. It's Israel in its priesthood. It's Israel in its intercessory role between the Gentiles and God. And in its priesthood, there's something really interesting can be said. There's a time when its religiosity goes wild, and it's known as a wild vine and a disobedient vine to God. But when it is a true vine, it produces some beautiful wine. When is God going to be cheered by wine? It says that here in the scripture. I just read it. I cheer, cheers both God and man. When do you see God drinking wine? We see the Lord Jesus refusing wine. He says, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until I drink it new in my Father's kingdom, in the millennial kingdom. There's a time when the Lord Jesus drank wine, Cana of Galilee. Is Jesus we've got here coded into the passage? If God's got wine in glory, praise the Lord for it. It will be far better than anything you have ever tasted, and it will not make you drunk. Don't worry about that. But in terms of drinking wine, Jesus. And so here we see the other illustration of Israel's future to be that intercessory role and to be the vine. And then finally, he turns to the thorn bush because here he is dealing with the one who is in rebellion against God. This is the crown of thorns, a crown placed on his head by illegitimate men in mockery and scorn. This is a crown representing rebellion and sinfulness. It's first seen in the illustration when the ram is caught in the thicket by its horns on its head. And so he's saying to him, look, you have got nothing to give because the thorn bush has got nothing to give. The others have all got something of value to God and man. This has got nothing. Then all the trees said to the bramble, come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. If not, let fire come out of the bramble or the thorn bush and devour the cedars of Lebanon. I'm a big, tough guy. He wasn't. The bramble is nothing compared to the cedars of Lebanon. It's thought that the illustration of fire is that of the natural combustion that takes place in the desert sometimes when they get very, very dry and they just burst into flame. Remember the, the bush, the burning bush? The significance of the burning bush wasn't it was burning. It was that it didn't go out. It wasn't consumed. It was there. It wasn't burning. There was flame, i.e., as in the flame of God all around it. So here we have a rebellious king. And you know what? He ain't going to last. The story goes on. He then says, Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you dealt well with Jerubbabel or Gideon and his house, have done to him as he deserves. For my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. This is Jotham speaking. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed the 70 sons on the one stone, probably on the altar, and made Abimelech the son of the female servant king 
over the men of Shechem because he is your brother. If you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jerubbabel in his house, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him rejoice in you. So if you've done what's righteous, good on you, mate. Go and have a good time. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beit Milo, and let fire come from men of Shechem and Beit Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there, for fear of Abimelech, his brother, his half-brother. So he basically pronounces a curse, which is a prophetic warning, and it comes to pass that you guys, you know what? You'll dig a trap, you'll dig a pit, and you'll fall into it yourselves. You'll become enemies one against another, and you'll devour one another. Time doesn't permit me. I see we're rolling on. Time doesn't permit me, and I will go to the end of the passage. But you can read of the downfall of of him. He's backwards and forwards. There's battles, there's fights, there's victories, there's defeats. But we turn now in the closing part of the passage, and we will look at verse 50. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. And there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in it, and they went up to the top of the tower. Now, I'm from York. Well, I'm originally from Scotland, but my home has been in York since 1969. Have you been to York? Yes. Have you ever been to Clifford's Tower? You know Clifford's Tower? And Clifford's Tower is where the Jewish people were, were um, forced into there. They committed suicide, and then they were set fire to in there. So there was a, there is a practice, we can pick it up through other, there are quite a lot of towers in scripture that we could talk about, but one of the things to do was to, you thought that if you built a tower that was invincible, you could, and you had enough supplies within it, you could outlast the patience of your enemy, or you could sneak somebody out who would go and get you rescued and bring the Assyrians or bring somebody out, whoever to rescue you. This is what they are hoping for. They are surrounded by, remember, worthless and reckless men. Men who, in God's eyes, have no righteousness, have nothing of any value, but they are reckless. They will behave with extreme hostility and ferocity. These are bad men. Remember, I mentioned this is the kind of men that Queen Jezebel got to speak against Naboth when she wanted to have his vineyard. These are the kind of people that they bring up against Jesus. Oh, we heard him say that he'll destroy the temple and knock in three days and build it again, right? This is, this is a tactic. And so they've run and hidden in, in the, the tower, in the strong tower. All the people are there and they went up to the top of the tower. The reason you go to the top of the tower is that if they, if they surround it with, um, with branches and so on and set fire to it, you want to be as far from the fire as you possibly can. And they've already done that. If you go further back in the passage, you'll see they've already attacked the tower and burned it out. So they know what's coming. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. Right? But a certain woman <laughs> dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he quickly called for his young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say a woman killed him. 
So his young man thrust him through and he died because it was a great insult to be killed by a woman. I've almost been killed by a woman several times in the last 40 years, but I've always managed to give a good enough excuses to escape. <laughs> but it was a great insult. It was a great insult. So he would rather die at the hand of his young sword bearer and his shield man than say, you know what? A woman killed him. But you and I know the eternal word of God shows that a woman killed him. And we go back in the scriptures and we remember others that God used the hand of a woman to deal in his judgment and in his, or in his mercy. But, you know, you remember the one we spoke about last time in the time of Deborah and she gave the guy the sour milk and put a tent peg through his head. Okay? Dealing with the intellectual pride of the religiosity of the human race that thinks that they can do bigger and better than God. And what he did not expect when he looked up that day was a millstone. It took some effort to get an upper millstone that far up. It took very little effort for it to come down. And he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his place. Uh-oh, we've lost our leader. You can see how leadership dependent they were at that time. Why? Because they've not got that individual link with the Lord. Where are those who've gone on their knees? They're not there. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem, God returned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. There you go. You see the whole story, the whole prophetic thing put together in one. Today, the world is full of Abimelechs. They come, they will go. We've had Hitler, we've had Stalin, we've had Ceausescu, we've had Saddam Hussein, we've had Gaddafi. You know, I have to say we've had Mr. Cameron stand and without the backing of his party, make certain judgments about marriage that are contrary to the word of God, and he didn't last. I have watched liberal, a liberal man on television, and when he spoke, I said, your days are numbered, because he spoke against the people of Israel, and his days were numbered. There was a similar man, a Scotsman, little red-haired Scotsman. His name's just gone right out of my head. He was one Robin Cook. Robin Cook did exactly the same. He made anti-Israel statements. I believe he did his in Israel. And you know what? Gone. You cannot resist the living God in a public place of authority, in governance, and think that God misses or ignores it, or that he does not come back and deal with it. And where we are today, whether it's Obama, whether it's Clinton, they make their statements against God, and in the case of Mr. Obama, a whole host of actions against God. And you know what? Their legacy is being wiped out. And so the current president of the United States of America, Mr. Trump, he has surrounded himself with born-again Christians, that I know, but he has to walk very, very carefully. In particular, I am watching one thing. He promised that he would move the embassy of the United States of America in Israel to Jerusalem. Let's see if he does. 
He's on notice. He's on notice. And you and I can look at our own situation. Everybody thought that the current election would be a shoo-in. There must be pride in the heart somewhere that God is dealing with. Mr. Corbyn has come out once again in support of people who would have put me to death just like that. He, wouldn't, he would not, at least he would not withdraw his support for the provisional IRA who would have put me to death like that. He certainly has not taken a strong stand against anti-Semitism. All I would say is watch that space. And that is outside in the world, and it's all around the world. And that's what you would expect at this point in the history of the race, okay? The history of the human race is not a circle that goes round and round and round and round and round. History does not repeat itself. History is linear. It is a straight line. Man's stupidity and foolishness and lack of adherence to God's word repeats itself. So in that straight line, they make the same or similar mistakes. But history is moving from a start point in Eden through the rapture of the church, through the tribulation of, God, of the uh, seven years, to the second coming of Jesus, to the millennial kingdom, to the eternal age. It's a straight line. It's linear. And in that linear line, Men will come and men will go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in statement clear as a bell, God says of himself, I am Yahweh the Lord, I change not. And the scripture says in Acts chapter 17 that God has set a day when he will judge this world by one man and that he has ratified and authenticated that one man by raising him from the dead, Jesus Christ. That's the answer to the world's political problems. Enough of politics. Because the tragedy, you can have your Abimelechs in the world. You can have your, I'll be the defender of faiths or whatever you like in the world. But when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, this is the mandate. You have no, or I, you or I have no legitimate reason to go outside of this. That alone is the mandate. And the tragedy, the tragedy is that the church of Jesus Christ is littered with Abimelechs that like the gold. They like the gold. They want to be Son of the King, Mr. Important, beloved brothers and sisters, you won't get that here in this church. But there is something that some of you will have access to that you need to be very, very careful of. It's called Christian television. You want to be very careful what you listen to and to whom you listen. Have nothing to do with these certain names, Benny Hinn. Jesse Duplantis, Keflo Dollar, have nothing to do with these people. There are plenty good people that you can listen to. 
don't have anything to do with the men that want the gold ephods, for the men that want to have personal leadership, for the men that want to see thousands in their congregation and thousands in their global congregation and want you to get online and press the Donate Now button. Don't do it, beloved. If you get one thing out of my message today, and it might upset you, it might offend you, but beloved, the thing is, don't listen to what they have to say. The best lies are those nearest to the truth. They can sound good. They can quote scripture. But the lie, the lie is in the life. You and I are privileged at the close of the era of the church that I can come to a church like this tonight and what are we here, 30 to 40, and you want to hear God's word. Oh, praise the Lord for you. It moves me that you would come to hear the word of God because that is what matters in a day of apostasy and lies and money, money and power in the church. If they're after your money, don't trust them. Now, that doesn't mean that legitimate projects aren't godly to be funded in a godly way. Don't think I'm getting at that. I'm not. But, you know, there are men going round in the church of Jesus Christ, and one of them said, in this very city, because I, had a, I have a personal witness who was at the meeting, my name is so-and-so, and I am a millionaire. Well, might you be, because you take the money off the people. That's why you're a millionaire. It was a lie. It was a deception. I'm helping a brother. It's a close with a good story. I'm helping a brother at the moment. Only very recently, I think I can say he has, on his own private life, been walking with the Lord since the end of the big harvest time movement that was here in Bradford. And he and his wife got badly hurt by that movement. I'm not able, his wife is so badly hurt, she's not even prepared to meet me yet. And my wife and I are slowly working on this brother and we speak on the phone most days and we try to meet once a week. And, and a relationship is forming of love and trust based on the word of God and prayer and, and on care and fellowship. And the great tragedy is that men began well. I went to Dale's Bible Week way back in the 80s. I was part of the Derek Prince and the, the, an American Harvest Time equivalent. I was part of that. We walked into something. We got burned. We walked out. Okay. There are people around today. They're around Bradford. They're around Yorkshire that got hurt by these things. Because men started well. They started as a good Gideon. And then they went badly. And then you know what? They produced a few Abimelechs. So if you have that hurt in your heart, get somebody to pray for you. Forgive them. Forgive Bryn and Kerry Jones if you've got anything against them. Forgive what was it, Hugh Thompson and all the other leaders, if, if they've got, forgive, forgive, forgive. Pray for their blessing for those that are still alive. And put that behind us. Because we've enough battling today's Abimelechs. 
without battling yesterday's Abimelech's. And the wonderful truth is when you read the whole story, you know what? Abimelech came and Abimelech went. But eventually, there was a king called David. And great David's greater son is soon to appear and rule as the true king, the true king, the son of the father.